0: Welcome to Souls Harbors Weekly Podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Uh, Turn with me. Uh, We're going to be in a few, two different passages. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 here in a few moments, and then we're going to be over in Zechariah chapter 9, I believe it is, as well. I want to preach a message this morning. What kind of king were you expecting? And as you would expect, it's a Palm Sunday message. Uh, But what kind of king were you expecting? Roman historians tell us in 30 AD, 30 years after the shift from BC to AD, uh, there was a leader that led a procession into Jerusalem. It happened on the Sunday that came to be known as Palm Sunday. It was the Sunday um, immediately prior to what became Good Friday. This leader of men led a procession into the city from the west, we're told by historians. Um, And you may think it was Jesus. That would make sense on Palm Sunday. But it might surprise you to know that this man led this procession in from the west side of the city. And following behind him in that procession was Roman cavalry, centurions, foot soldiers, wearing their leather girdles, their leather armor protection all buffed up, and their helmets that were wrought iron. And on their sides, they carried swords of the the strongest steel. And if you can imagine this, on Palm Sunday, on the Sunday that became known as Palm Sunday, marching in from the west side of Jerusalem, this procession led by this leader of men, following along behind him, they marched to the beat of Roman drums. See, the man was Pontius Pilate. And he marched in on that day from the west side of the city. But the reason this governor, he was the governor of Judea, the governor of Samaria, the governor of that area, this this man Pontius Pilate, as he marched into the city, he didn't march in that day to come as one who was there to celebrate or was there to worship or was even there to bring good tidings or good news or anything like that to the Jewish people. He came there that day, somebody that was there to flex his muscle, to make sure the people of God were kept in their place, to let the world see the power and the authority of Rome. He was there for that reason on that day. You see, it was standard practice, and I, I had never realized that. As, as many times as I've preached Palm Sunday messages, this, I had never read this, never understood this, never knew this. It was standard practice for the Roman governor of a foreign territory to be in the capital of that territory on any major religious holiday. Pilate felt like he needed to be there. Now here's the thing, here's the, here's, the, here's the unique thing about that particular holiday in that particular territory, and the reason Pilate really felt it necessary to be there was he was aware that it was, that, that, that in his mind, that Jewish weird holiday called Passover. They began Passover on that day, and he was very aware as he marched into the city that day with, with the legions behind him that this was the day that the Jewish people celebrated their liberty and their freedom from another empire called Egypt. He wanted to make sure they knew that what happened in Egypt wasn't going to happen in Rome. The people of God were going to stay in their place. They were not going to find their freedom or their liberty. You see, since since Rome had occupied Judah, Judea 80 years before and defeated the Jewish people and, and ousted their king at the time, since that day, 80 years prior, there had been this constant, constant feeling of rebellion in the air. This was a people primed every day of every week of every month of every year primed for rebellion. Pilate didn't want that. Not on his watch. It had been it had been enough years since there had been a rebellion. It was actually before Pilate's time that the last rebellion had taken place. It was back in 4 BC when Herod the Great died. It had been a lot of years earlier. And the last rebellion that took place took place, actually took place in a little town, Sophis, uh, not too far from Nazareth, five miles from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And the Romans came in and they squashed it brutally. and by the time it was over, they had destroyed. Uh, That city, they had destroyed the city of Emmaus. Some of you have heard of Emmaus. And then they had marched into Jerusalem and quelched, destroyed, put down brutally the rebellion in Jerusalem. And by the time it was done, by the time it was done, 2,000 Jewish people were hanging on a cross, executed. The Romans in that moment, they made a pretty... uh, powerful statement, we will not tolerate any kind of rebellion. So Pilate had to be there, not to worship or celebrate, but to project that sense of power and control. Let's be honest, intimidation. Same time, there was another entrance into the city that day. You guys know the entrance. It happened not on the west side of the city. This is the entrance that took place on the east side of the city. We don't know if it was actually the same exact moment, the same time. It could have even been a couple of days apart, but it probably was on that same day. Jesus himself rode into the city, another leader of men. You all know this story. He came in. We call it the triumphal entry. You guys ever heard it called that before? the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But but yet, and, and it was, but but here's the unique, here, here's the interesting thing and, 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 the, and the problem. If it was such a triumphal entry, why just a few days later was this man going to be hanging on a cross? Because th- that tells me when you go from being the hero to being the villain, when you go from being the, the coming king to being the one crucified as, uh, on a cross with criminals, something went really wrong, didn't it? in that very few short days. If you've got your Bible there, go with me to Matthew 21. And let me just read uh, this story with you this morning. You can follow along if you'd like or listen however you choose to do it. But, But listen to the story of Jesus' entrance on that day on the east side of the city. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, let me just stop there for a minute and say this. In, in our culture, to ride on a donkey is not very prestigious, right? I mean, we want we, we, we just don't think very highly of that. But understand, in their culture, in the culture that Jesus lived, in the Old Testament culture we're going to see in a moment in Zechariah, it was very appropriate for a king to ride on a donkey. That was, that was an acceptable... Uh, means of transportation for a king. So ju- if you can make that cultural shift, that will help. So this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he said on them, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, probably palm trees, spread them on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Now notice they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Why were they doing that? Because they were looking for the son of David, the descendant of David, to come back and reestablish the kingdom of David, which was a kingdom that ruled the world, kind of like Rome did, a kingdom that had full control, a a kingdom that was full of freedom and liberty. That's what they were looking for. They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And we see the entrance of Jesus into that city from the east side. But here's what we usually think, okay? We, we read that, and we kind of, we take notice of, okay, he rode in a, on a donkey. That was a to us, that's a little weird. And most of us don't, even if we make the cultural shift that it was no big deal for a king to be on a donkey, most of us just see that as Matthew's portrayal of Jesus' mode of transportation, Right? I mean, if it was modern day, Jesus drove in in a Cadillac, or Jesus drove in in a really nice Chevy. I, I don't know. I mean, we would, we would we, it's just his mode of transportation. It was no more than that for most of us as we read that passage. But here's the interesting thing. For the Jewish people who were hearing this written in the book of Matthew in, in, in the first century church, it was so much more than that. And matter of fact, for the Jewish people that were standing there that day watching this man, if you can picture it on this dusty road, watching him ride in, sitting on that colt of a donkey and seeing the palm branches laid on the road in front of him and, and the cloaks, if you can imagine taking your good coat off and laying it on the road in the dust so that this donkey could walk across it with this king on it. I mean, that's saying something about how you feel about this king. But what, So what they were imagining that day as they watched this transpire was something deeper it's something that comes out of the book of Zechariah. And if you've got your Bibles there turn with me to Zechariah 9 and let me just read a few verses out of Zechariah 9 9 through 12. This is where that phrase that Jesus that, that direction that Je- he's actually quoting Zechariah Jesus is when he talks about the donkey. It says in verse 9, rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Jesus was quoting Zechariah, the prophetic word of Zechariah, when he said, go get the donkey, the colt, and bring him, and I'm going to ride in on him. And the people knew that, but the other thing they knew was out of Zechariah, what this is describing, if you put this whole passage in context, is this, it's God proclaiming to the people of God, I'm still watching over you, I'm still protecting you, I'm still keeping you, I'm still bringing you salvation, I'm still going to defeat those that oppress you, I'm going to put them down, I'm going to destroy them. You're going to have your freedom, Freedom and your liberty. Again, that's the context of the, the Old Testament prophet about the donkey and the king riding in on the donkey. They got that. Now listen to me, today I think we as the people of God need to grab a hold of that because the people of God are now sitting right here within this church. You all, if you're walking in relationship with Jesus, are the people of God. And God is still saying to us prophetically in many other ways in His Word, He's saying to us, I've still got you, I'm still taking care of you, I'm still looking out for you, I'm still looking over you, I'm still going to defeat the oppressor, I will still bring you liberty and freedom, I will still heal you, and all of those things. This is still the God we serve, and we sit in the place of the people of God now. Verse 10 goes on and and, and gives us a little more explanation. He says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And think about this. Don't think the Jewish people weren't aware that as Jesus rode in on the donkey, fulfilling Zechariah, Pontius Pilate, who was the governor and the oppressor, was riding in on a war horse in the other side of the city. Don't think they didn't recognize that. He says, And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from the sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, we need to be in covenant relationship with Jesus. Because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Anybody like double? Absolutely. Double stimulus check. Double pay raise. Double dip ice cream. Y'all get it. Who doesn't like double? He says, I will restore to you double. Double. Don't think they weren't aware of this. But here's what they missed. They missed the part that said, or the significance of the part that said, your king will ride in humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now you say, Pastor Barry, what's the point? Kings that were going to war, to destroy, to kill, whatever, they rode on a horse. They rode a war horse. Kings that came into a city on a donkey were coming in humility and peace. That's what they missed. Because their expectations were, Jesus is going to come into this city. He's going to have followers rise up around him. And before this week is over, he will have thrown down the legions of Rome and Pontius Pilate and those that have the swords on their hip, he and those that come with him will have thrown them down, defeated them, killed them, and he will have victory. But they missed that he was coming in peace. Their expectations were different than the reality. Here's the thing about God. Regardless of our expectations, he does it his way. They were looking for God to come and throw down the evil of Rome. And he did. But he did it his way. They could have quoted to you scripture to support their perspective. But they missed a piece, and God did it his way. And I'm reminded of Isaiah. I I quoted it, read it last week to you, Isaiah, I believe it was 55. Isaiah that says, my ways are above your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. Now think about this with me, because every one of us, do you want to know? Let me just put this in a nutshell. Do you want to know why Jesus went from being king to being crucified in just a few days? It was because he did not meet the expectations of the people. They expected him to be a conqueror and he came differently. And sometimes we get ourselves into trouble as the people of God because our expectations, when God doesn't meet our expectations, all of a sudden our faith is challenged. Sometimes our relationship is challenged when it goes too far. But we end up struggling. We end up struggling because God doesn't meet our expectations. But his ways are above my ways and his thoughts are above my thoughts. On that day, he decided, he made the decision long before that, but as, as Jesus rose in, rode in on the donkey, he came in in peace, and it allowed Rome to continue to brutalize and to continue to attack and to continue to oppress the people of God. And, and if you're standing there that day, you can imagine, God, how does this make any sense? We're your people. How does this make any sense? To the point in 70 A.D., the Romans came in and again destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple of God. God, how does this make any sense? Their expectations were not met. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. Because God chose to operate the way He did, many Jewish people and many Christians, many Christians ended up hanging on a cross, crucified, brutalized. How does that make any sense? Because Jesus came in not in power and oppression and authority and control and all of those things at that point, but He came in in peace. The church had years and years of persecution. But His ways are above my ways and His thoughts are above my thoughts. Because that happened, it forced... We've been looking at this in our Bible study on Wednesday. Because that happened, it forced the Christians who were very comfortable and very happy to live in Jerusalem to get out of their comfort zone and to go places they would have never gone before because His ways are above our ways and His thoughts are above our thoughts. Because God chose to do it His way instead of giving in to the expectations of His people, it was just a few hundred years later. Now, it was a few hundred years later... Okay, it was a few hundred years later, but a few hundred years later, Rome became Christian. And the Caesar of Rome became a follower of Christ. And all of a sudden, that which had persecuted and scattered and, and, and crucified the church a few hundred years later became the power that propelled the gospel around the world and all of a sudden the gospel that was was the main thing all of a sudden the gospel was propelled by the power and the money and the roads and the leaders of Rome because his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. You understand what I'm saying this morning? We go through stuff. Is there anybody here that's ever expected something of God, and he didn't do it the way you thought he should? Am I the only one? A couple others? And we need to live in Isaiah 55. His ways are above my ways. His thoughts above my thoughts. Do you know what I see when I'm going through stuff? Do you know what I see? We need to fix the squeak <laughs> at some point. I, can you all hear that? Can you? Drive me crazy. And then I forget about it as soon as service is over. So I'm going to stop in the sermon and say, "Can we fix this squeak? <laughs> Let's throw some screws in that." While I'm thinking about it, you know what I'm thinking about whenever I'm in the middle of stuff? I'm thinking about the stuff. Now, now listen to me. I, I don't think I'm unique in this. If I and God grow me in this, because it's not the right way. But when I'm in the middle of the stuff, my vision is about right here. <laughs> and the bigger the stuff, the more painful the stuff, the more my vision's right here. This is all I see. God, fix this. Keeps me up at night, wakes me up in the morning, keeps me miserable when I'm awake, affects my dreams, affects my eating, everything. God, help me, because my vision doesn't go any bigger than this. But His ways are above my ways, and His thoughts are above my thoughts. And God looks at my circumstances and still loves me, but what He sees is what's going on out there. What He sees is what's going on out there. What He sees is what's going on next week next month, next year, 200 years in the future when Rome becomes a Christian nation. You understand what I'm saying this morning? His ways are above my ways and his thoughts are above my thoughts. And I'm struck right here in this moment of, of difficulty, but God's seeing such a big picture, such a bigger picture, and he says, I'm going to do it my way. And I've got two choices. I can stand there and say, God, you can't be God. I don't think I can serve you. I don't think I can be faithful to you, God, because you—you just—you you can't let me stay here and be okay with this, because all I'm seeing is right here. His ways are above my ways, and His thoughts are above my thoughts. Or I can say, God, you're God. You're God in the sunshine, and you're God when the storms raging around me. God, I I am just human. I'm just flesh and bone. And I'm standing in the middle of this moment of whatever it is. And God, I don't know that I can take it. And I don't know that I've got the strength. And it's it's beating me down, God. and And I can stand there and say, God, I don't understand. Let your will be done. Sustain me, strengthen me, encourage me, and help me walk through this. Right? Now listen to me, folks. God still heals. God still delivers. God still does the miraculous. I pray for those things every day on your lives. I pray for those things every day over my family. I pray those things over myself on a daily basis. Literally, I mean that, on a daily basis. I pray those things. I believe those things. I have pastored and served the Lord enough years to have seen them happen time and time again. But at the same time, I've had more than one instance where I've watched God not do it the way I expected Him to do it. And out of that came a bigger praise, a bigger glory, a bigger moment, a greater opportunity than I ever could have imagined in the moment of the difficulty. And I'll be honest enough with you to say that there's been more than one instance where I've looked at a situation and I've never seen the glory on the other side. I never understood why. And all I could say is, God, I choose to believe. I happen to believe when we get to heaven, it's all going to make a lot more sense. There's there's something about having that glorified body, glorified mind where things begin to fall into place. I I can only imagine what heaven's going to look like. We're going to step into heaven, and all of a sudden we're going to look around after we praise God for about a million years. We're going to look around and say, oh, I get it now. How how could I miss that? You ever have an aha moment? We're going to be standing in heaven a million years down the road having praised God for a million years. I mean, years don't mean anything in eternity. But And all of a sudden, you're going to have an aha moment. Oh, yeah, how could I miss that? I see it now. But right now, standing in this moment, I just lean upon the Lord and have to trust. Otherwise, I become the one that hangs him on the cross. And and I don't want to be that guy. See, my disappointment that Jesus doesn't do it my way does not equal a failed Jesus Messiah. Because that's what happened to Jesus. These people had expectations. Were built expectations. And when Jesus didn't meet their expectations the way they thought he should meet their expectations, they were given the choice. You can either crucify a known thief or you can crucify who in your mind is a failed Messiah. And they chose to crucify who in their mind was a failed Messiah. Joe put it this way. I'll bring this to a close this morning. Joe put it this way. He said, Lord, even though you slay me, still I will serve thee. God help me to have that kind of faith and determination. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is a day of Hosanna. And I know maybe that doesn't sound like a celebratory sermon. But here's the thing that is always true. Keep keep the main, main thing the main thing. You're saved. Born again. Sins are forgiven. In the end, you win, and you're going to have all of eternity to figure it out. If that doesn't sound like something to celebrate, I don't know what does. I believe in the blessings of God. I believe in the power of God. I pray for those things. We're going to continue to pray for those things. But if God never does anything else for me, Lord, I will serve you. You've already saved me. I'm going to heaven. I've got eternity with you. Amen. Yea, though he slay me, still will I serve him. So today is a day of celebration. It's a day of thanksgiving. It's a day of worship, it's a day of praise. But I want to say this to you, it shouldn't just be on Palm Sunday. Every day ought to be a day of celebration. I mean, I thank God for the days where there are no circles around me in the and the sun shining in the sky, but even the circle, God, let me praise you. Help me praise you. Help me praise you, Lord. Today's a day of celebration. And one of the things we've done as a church traditionally for years, we, we did it before I became your pastor, was this extravagant offering. And, and 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 please hear me on this. This is not about me saying, I'm going to give you $10, God, because I believe you're going to bless me with 100 Now, if God chooses to bless you with 100 I, awesome. I hope he does. But that's not what this is about. This is about me saying, Lord, because you've saved me, because you're a great God, because you are who you are. I choose today to worship you and celebrate you above and beyond what I normally do. Not looking for anything out of it, God. It's just my way of saying, today I celebrate my salvation. I celebrate your the price you paid on a cross. Today I worship. And this is no high pressure. Hey, you've got to participate. This is simply an invitation and an encouragement. And if you would like to participate, those extravagant offering cards are on the pews and uh, seats and and we would love to have you do that. Each year we take it and we put it towards something. This year it's going to be to recarpet the platform and if the finances allow to hang a big screen in the center so you all can quit getting whiplash looking from Cheryl to the screen on the other side of the church. And if we ha- and the funds are there, a few other things within the sanctuary. You say, Pastor Barry, what's the big deal about the sink? Well, go back and read the Old Testament. God was pretty 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 specific about place where you come to worship me needs to be the best, right? That's not to say we couldn't worship in a barn, because we could. But he's blessed us, and we don't have to. So however this morning you would choose to participate, if I remember right, there is, you can go to the website and, and participate through Easy Tithe. You can text by giving. Technology crazy. Or you can scan the QR code. I I don't even know. <clears throat> you y'all can do that. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way and just give in the black box, okay? <laughs> however, however you choose. And, and and I'll say it again, if if you just are at a place you don't feel like got this is what I want to do, that's fine. This is not me pushing you to do anything. That, that's fine. Um, but this is something we do and 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 we do celebrate. Ruthie told me um before service, I think. We've already had something like $2,800 come in online, um, which is awesome. So, some of you got so you you didn't wait to hear the sermon. What's the matter with you all? You're the best. That's what's the matter with you all. Here's what I want to do this morning. If you'd stand with me, that's all I'm going to say about the extravagant offering. Because, really, honestly, we celebrate that together and it matters. But today's really about this it's about praying over you if you're going through a hard place. Cheryl, if you come for just a minute, give me some of that spiritual sounding music. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? And and I do want to pray over you this morning. If you're here, you say, Pastor Barry, I, I certainly get, I love Jesus, but I certainly get being in that moment where I don't understand. I'm in that moment where the circle's around me and my pain's such that this is, I'm struggling to see anything else. And I would appreciate your prayers. And this morning, if you're there, I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray God's will in your life. I'm going to pray God heal you or whatever you need. And I'm going to pray He give you the peace and the strength to walk through whatever He lets you walk through. And if you'd like to be prayed over in that way, if something that was said this morning speaks to that in your life, would you just put your hand up and hold it there for a moment? Allow me to pray. I see several hands. Thank you. You can put them down. Will you all agree with me in prayer this morning? Father, you're no stranger to pain. You watched as your only begotten son hung on a cross, and you had to turn your back upon him because of the sin he took upon himself. You understand our pain. Jesus, you hung on a cross. Your arms were stretched out and you were were brutally beaten for our sins. You understand our pain. You hung on that cross in the most difficult moment in your human life and the Father faced away from you as you took sin upon you. Lord, you understand our pain. And this morning, my prayer over each and every person in this sanctuary, and especially those that lifted their hands, is this. God, let your will be done. Your way, your timing. God, give them encouragement and strength and let them walk consciously aware of the presence of the living God in this moment of storm. I ask you to heal them. I ask you to meet every need. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. God, do what only you can do. Lord, I pray that you bless them. Bless them in the storm. Bring them through the storm. Bring them out of the storm. God, with faith, that grows. God, with faith, it grows deeper in every moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Appreciate you. Love you. And most of all, praying for you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor@indy.rr.com. At